For a red-blooded, angsty teenage male growing up in the 90s, truly 1999 was a vintage year. It was in this year that Family Guy with its polarizing humor debuted on Fox, FHM acknowledged horny nerds everywhere naming Sarah Michelle Gellar top of their sexiest woman list, and the WWE were undergoing a huge renaissance with their attitude era of bloodshed, bare chests and over-the-top violence. Sonically, 1999 established itself as the era of wallet chains and frosted tips. It was now okay to listen to rock music without fears of being spat on, called a homophobic slur, or beaten up by a contingent of lads who enjoyed top 40 music, at least in my town anyway. My town was Newark-on-Trent, a market town in Nottinghamshire. In 1999 I had cast off the shackles of compulsory education, but requiring more grades to join a media production course and become the next Kevin Smith, I enrolled to a college of further education to gather a few more passing grades. It was undoubtedly where I started to feel less like a social leper in a school uniform and more myself. And this started a chain of events that led to a lifelong history of wearing band t-shirts and a continued journey of musical discovery. I make it sound incredibly whimsical, but when you've had heavy hitters like Slipknot enter the fray, it becomes a little less of a Wes Anderson style flashback. The Iowa locals unleashed their incredibly loud and incredibly successful debut, Slipknot, in June of 1999. From the unease of walking into a teenage son or daughter's room and seeing posters of an 18-legged, masked, boiler-suited, quote-unquote freak show in some respects, adorned on walls, to the constant tales of the band engaging in fights offstage, huffing on a dead crow in a jar, and setting themselves on fire, Slipknot indeed were every parent's worst nightmare. They were every boy's biggest confusing crush. So Reese, now the intro to this week's Batchio Death Trip is over, I want to ask you, what was the weirdest Slipknot rumour that you heard? I remember having a, uh, an argument with a girl called Jess, Jess B, and uh, over who was the hottest, and who <laughs> under, under their mask, and she assured me that Joey would be hot, and I swore that it was Jim that would be the hottest, and I think I've been proven right. Why was that a thing? Because... I don't know. We had the same situation over here in the UK where it was conversation of, oh, you know, I think Corey Taylor's like the hottest member of Slipknot. Like, how do you know? It could be Clown. But we all know it would never have been Clown, you know? No. Well, yeah. I mean, that that's the mysterious element. And I, we'll talk more about that later. But yeah. not being able to see their face drove people crazy. But um, I remember seeing them when I was like 14. And... Like, it wasn't a huge venue, and it was kind of like that mid-tier, bigger than a pub, smaller than an arena, and Corey came outside with all the crowd, because no one knew who he was, until someone noticed he had a number eight tattooed on his neck, or he had something Slipknot related on his neck, and they're like, you're Corey, and then everyone just started chasing him, and he ran in, and I remember Joey being his own drum tech, because we're like, that has to be Joey, because it had the long hair, so I saw both their faces, and yeah... Still think Jim was hottest. But yeah, I didn't, the problem is I'm, I'm so well-versed in Slipknot, you know, I was so into it that it's not rumor anymore. Like, I kind of knew what was what. Like, I, I know that that huffing a dead crow in a jar thing is real, you know? I knew that the, the sound of them vomiting was watching them watching, like, scat porn or something. Yeah. You know, 
in the studio. So it wasn't as much rumor. Like Marilyn Manson is the king of that. Was was the king of that kind of rumor shit? But that would be the um, that would be the two ribs rumor, correct? Or the Wonder Years rumor? Yeah, Wonder Years snorting bones like crushed up bones to get high. Although it wouldn't do anything. Well, I'm with you when it comes to the weirdest kind of Slipknot rumours because the weirdest ones always have turned out to uh, or eventuated that they were real, you know. They'd play a game in their early career where they'd um, flip a coin. Apparently, Sean uh, Clown would be the one doing this where they'd flip a coin and if it was heads, then you got to punch the clown in the face. If it was tails, the clown got to punch you in the face, which apparently turned out to be real for a couple of times. Yeah. Um, the whole, they set themselves on fire, I always thought that's a bit much until I saw them for the first time. And it was weird. It was The, the truth was stranger than fiction when it came to Slipknot. Yeah, I saw them when I, when before the internet, and like they did set themselves on fire, so... When I saw them, I already knew that was true. Uh, I mean, it was what was what made Slipknot exciting. As you know, if yeah, even if you had not had heard the music, you heard like you know to to quote um, a Sex Pistols documentary, the filth and the fury that went behind Slipknot. You know, it's. I mean, I think we should we should really just knuckle down into like the first time you heard them because evidently this is a band much like Deftones would be in future episodes much like the Mighty Glacial would be in future episodes this is an episode that we could go on for like hours and hours and hours but if we have to distill it all into a neat little package um where were you the first time that you heard a Slipknot single and then where were you when you first heard the entire debut album? Yeah, so I heard the album in full. First like first time just over and over and over again before I heard anything about the band. But it was this I was at my friend Brent's house and I realized looking back that he was just an asshole kid and he just did whatever he wanted. But his parents had some money, so like he had these speakers um you know, on his patio or you know, in the, in his backyard. When someone has, like, outdoor speakers wired in, you know, they're kind of... It's uh, up there with people that have fabric cushions on outdoor furniture. It's like, they don't give a fuck. They can afford to do this. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, we're going to spend a lot of out, uh, time out here entertaining people, you know, whereas my family were just like, we've got that weird yellowy-orange fluoro bowl. Um, we're going to pour some cheesels in it. There's your party right here. What would you ever leave? So yeah, we sat there and we listened to the Corn's first album. He's like, oh, I just got this new album. And he played it. And the first track, you know, the, the one with all the, the whole thing, I think it's sick. I was like, what yeah. is this? This is scary. And then Sick came on and I was like, oh my God. And we listened to it over and over and over again. And it was the first night I'd ever stayed up 24 hours. Uh, we listened to that and blaring from about 2 a.m. until about 8 a.m. And then... Uh, my mum came to pick me up at 9am and he went to bed and I stayed up. Um, just, I think I was just so revved. We just went over and over and over again. It's probably the first time I was like, I can party. I can, I can stay up, you know, time is a construct and, I, and <laughs> I'll sleep when I'm dead. But uh, was there uh, any albums before that, which just kind of like had that resonation that Slipknot's first album had? Nothing at all. Nothing, because I was young, like, he, he, 
I was a year younger than everyone in my year level because I was I'm a February baby, and you could kind yeah. of wait a year or you could jump in, and and I jumped in, so I was a year younger. So I, I think everyone else was fourteen and I was thirteen, and like by then, like all we had was really like Savage Garden or like TV hits or you know Smash Hits Volume Thirty Three or Skits Mix Forty Four or whatever it was, you know. But this is the first time an album, and I was so infatuated. Like we sit, we sat in the backyard, and he's like, "Oh, check out the cover," and I just stared at it for so long. I'm like, "What is this?" So yeah, and then I heard they were coming to Australia, and I was like, "We are going!" And I was the scrawniest, smallest kid, and you know we snuck under the barrier and joined the mosh pit because we could only get seated tickets because we were young yeah. and joined the mosh pit. I remember that's when I first crowd surfed as well because a guy just looked at me and realized I had no say in the matter. He just picked me up and just like threw me and I landed on people, but I was maybe like 48 kilograms. So no one really worried. They just kept pushing me forward. It was awesome. It was wild. Yeah. When did you hit first here? Well, I mean, it was intro aside. I mean, you know, if anyone really wants to hear the story about it, rewind, listen to the intro. But no, I was uh, an ardent fan of Kerrang! magazine because it was affordable, you know. It was, you know, it was smash hits for, for metal kids, you know, effectively speaking. But it was still, uh, you know, a rite of passage growing up in the UK because you had Kerrang! the television channel as well. And I remember just being being sat there watching Kerrang! And then the video for Spit It Out came out. And around that time, I was like, as as pretentious as this sounds, I was starting to get into Stanley Kubrick because I was a horror fan. So it was like, holy shit, here's a music video that's basically borrowing tenets of, you know, The Shining. This is incredible. And like, oh, this is the slipknot that I've been hearing all about. So... I went uh, into college and uh, bumped into a guy I knew called Glenn. And, uh, yeah, we just ended up talking a, a fucking ton about Slipknot. And I went out and I uh, the Slipknot first, yeah, the first Slipknot album was the very first Digipack album that I got. But I just fucking missed out on getting the copies that had Frail Limb Nursery and Purity on it because... You know, that whole controversy. Yeah, well, I had it and I wasn't aware of the controversy. So for people who, who weren't, yeah, as in the loop as us, what what is it? The controversy about purity. It was what they pulled it because they were concerned that it would, it would have copyright infringement penalties on two stories that were written for a, re- a website called crime scene and purity and frail numerous frail limb nursery sorry were inspired and uh, published online about a girl called purity knight who was kidnapped and buried alive but they didn't realize that it was actually fan fiction rather than an actual case so i believe that when they realized it was a work of fan fiction they went oh well we'll be fucked because we're using someone's copyrighted material without their permission so they pulled it. I mean, we got me inside instead. But, I mean, the first time I heard Purity is when I saw the Disaster Pieces Slipknot DVD. But I don't want to jump straight into to that side of things. Nah, man, um, I'm going to fucking... I'm going into it because... You're going like, into it. To that jump into structure. a DVD is awesome because 
fuck in those days VHSs were an absolute ripoff. I remember South Park, you get like four episodes on a VHS and you'd pay like 25 bucks. Slipknot's Welcome to the Neighborhood, a piece of shit. It was had like only one- five fucking songs. Yeah, and it was like spit it out, wait and bleed. There wasn't much live shit. There wasn't any backstage thing. It was just like, hey, we've we've downloaded the video clips and put it on VHS and fuck, I, I got it for Christmas and I I loved it, the look of it, but... I remember being disappointed going, I wish there was some more. You know, I wish there was something else here. Did, did you have LimeWire at the time? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I had so it directly to just, my veins. Yeah, you could have just downloaded those videos off LimeWire. But it's the incidental things in between, isn't it? Like, that's why when Korn released um, Who Then Now, I mean, I thought that was all right because you got a little bit of kind of backstage, a little bit of behind-the-scenes footage of them recording and stuff like that. Nothing that'll ever beat cunning stunts by Metallica, though, mate. I'm not a Metallica kid, so I didn't give a, I never give a fuck. That was the fucking king of VHSs at that time, because it was like, oh my god, this is a full-on live performance, you know, with, like, camera angles everywhere. The only thing that came close to it was um, Nine Inch Nails released uh, a DVD when DVDs were like brand new and all the rage. Like, oh shit, Twister on DVD. That cow looks <laughs> even more fake. But Nine Inch Nails did it where you could use your DVD remote to have a look at different angles where they shot everything, which was which was cool. That was I mean, cool. I'm gutted that they never released Static X's tour VHS because Sharon Osbourne wouldn't let them. You can get it on YouTube, yeah? Is that right? Oh yeah, you can you can stream the the shit out of that one on YouTube, and it was really good, really really good. But Static X kind of got a bum rap when it came to live shit. Like their live footage didn't make the light of day. That the cancelled tours in Europe periodically, and it's got to a point where it's like I'm never gonna see these guys live. Why'd they cancel tours? Was it drug related? Was it was Wayne addicted to something or not? Or was he straight? No, I just or? I just think it was it was bad luck. Ah, uh, rough. Just we've missed a flight. It was always download festival. Uh, we've missed a flight. We can't do it, you know. And touring at that stage, everything hinged on you know the tight itineraries, you know. Everyone knows because I keep saying you know. But I remember seeing uh, Slipknot for the first time, and I didn't have to crawl under anything. I just had to pretend that I <laughs> you was... You think you're uh, better than me? Yeah, I am better than you. I don't <laughs> have to crawl under shit. I can afford standing. I was there, man. I was on the borderline, waiting for that. Like, tickets? Yeah. So you saw them at a festival, is that right? No, no, no. I saw them at Rock City. And there's actual footage when before I came online to do this that I saw of the exact show that I went to. And that's like the second time that's happened to me. Because Foo Fighters released a MTV special of them playing at Brixton Academy. And I was at that show as well. So it was like, oh, holy shit. Okay, awesome. There's there's footage of something that I thought I'd never be able to get to see again. And it was, I've forgotten the name of the first band, but it was One Minute Silence, who were kind of blowing up over here in the UK. Yep. And a little Canadian band called Kitty, who were doing the tour yes. circuit because they were Roadrunner record buddies, if I remember correctly, Kitty yep. and uh, Slipknot. And around that time, um, Roadrunner Records was basically kind of 
the epicenter for everything that was gonna going on in our lives. Um, Soulfly were on Roadrunner Records. Nickelback were on Roadrunner Records. So it had everything. So was Typo Negative on there? Typo Negative were originally on uh, Roadrunner Records. Sepultura were originally a Roadrunner Records band. Fear Factory were a Roadrunner Records band. Just so I had everything that I was kind of like into at the time but i digress like i always do we uh went to see slip that at rock city and kitty came on stage and hot fucking horny teenage lads as they are started chanting at kitty's lead singer get your tits out get your tits out get your tits out for the lads and which her response was just in this real guttural voice that she's got suck my dick and we were like oh my god okay and then they fucking ended up just playing most of spit and then slipknot came out and the first fucking thing they did said tore the fucking railing off the fire escape that leads off the stage he just tore it took it into the middle of the of the stage and then when they were just about to kick in the power cut out because there was just too many people and it was too hot then the power came back in and they played a fucking awesome set. It was just, wasn't the best set I saw that would go to, I think, System of a Down, actually, when they played one of the arena shows. Shame it was an arena. But it was just visceral. Everything what what album? Was this that, self-titled? Yes. They were touring? Yeah, sweet. Everything about them was just visceral. Yeah, I think we might have seen maybe the same tourish because... um. I saw them on, on their first ever tour of Australia. I remember being at the front and it was all these dudes and it was the first time I was around like kind of like men that were shirtless, had dreads. I was like, what is going on here? And I think I was just terrified standing against a wall. But all these guys had bags of golf balls and they just kept throwing them up in the air. So they, the golf balls were hitting people on the head. And so then this security guard got up and he was he stood on this like pillar and he's like, everyone with a megaphone, everyone stop throwing golf balls. And someone ripped a street sign off the wall or something and frisbeed it at him and it hit him in the neck. Oh my and God. And he just grabs his neck and falls down. And then all of a sudden all these people start throwing golf balls up in the air to celebrate. And then I hear the guy on the radio go, just open the doors. Just let him in. Just fucking let him in. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone just goes running in. Um, and the poor support band, I'm not sure who it was meant to be, but they had a, the bassist had a car crash on the way to the sound check. So I think they're okay. So a band called Segression filled in, which is, that's the best call ever. Hey, can you play a show tonight? It's Slipknot. It's like, fuck, okay, great. They did a really good job. But imagine the two or three other members just sitting inside a stage going, really could have been us. That that could have been us. And what has that band gone on to do since? Um, I think they're running for parliament. And uh, yeah, that band <laughs> oh, was Tony really? Abbott. <laughs> really? No, I've no idea. I've, I don't remember their name, and but yeah, I did buy the Segression album years later, but uh, I, I don't. I don't know what those guys are doing. I think they're all accountants now. I mean, it's plausible because the lead singer of Midnight Oil ran for Parliament, and then uh, Daniel Johns got him into trouble by pretending they smoked weed. Pretending, yeah. Um, he also got into very big trouble with the Pink Bats situation. But anyway, that's a, that's a very very long story where it's just you know rock and roll will eat you up and shit you out. Politics will fucking drag you under, you know? Did uh, Eeyore, did they play Eeyore at the set? 
No, that's only a recent addition. And, and I was trying to think, how many other times has a secret track been brought into a live set? Like, like I even I watched a Slipknot set the other night, and it was like the second or third song that they played. Like, that's fucking... Was that their um, set at London Docklands? Because they played it during the Disaster Pieces DVD recording. But that just almost seemed like a greatest hits, and they only had two albums out at that stage. Well, I'm almost certain they didn't play it, but like it was such a, a intense night, you know. I was just blown away, being in the crowd, being just thrown around, um, singing every word. It was awesome. I remember the clown masturbated, and we thought he was joking, and then he jerked his head back, and then we saw a little wet patch appear on his uh, coveralls. Um, I think Sid set people on fire. Chris had a fight with probably Sid. Um, they they finished with scissors. I remember that, and there was just it was just wild. I think. There's a sweet spot, and I'll talk more about this in the Deftones episode coming up. But yeah, because Deftones, the White Pony one, epitomizes this. There's a real sweet spot with a band where they're not fucking sick of touring and it's exciting yet, and still. And I think this was it for some. They were just like, "This is the first time in Australia. Let's go nuts!" And the crowd were just so into it. And there was maybe what two thousand people there, so it wasn't a huge show. Um, you could get close enough, you know, to smell clowns jizz, which is <laughs> which is what you want. I had the ticket framed for a for years and years. I had it framed on my desk, and next to that was my CD tower. And I would like every three weeks rank all my CDs in terms of like, all right, now still not still on top, but Tool just released Lateralis, so that comes in at a third, and Glassjaw a second at the moment. But like, and I would just yeah sit there week by week. Oh, sorry, every three weeks, just going like, what? What comes in at number eight this week? Well, I was going to say, so you, so, I mean, for many of us, I mean, we ranked, uh, well, I, I always did mine in alphabetical order, my CD collection, but you went down the whole John Cusack high fidelity of like rating them. Oh. I mean, not, not to the level that he did, but certainly to a, like a playlist kind of, this is my 10, you know, 10 albums I'm listening to constantly. And F1, ended up being more predominantly played than the other one. I'm guessing that then ascended higher up the CD rack. What was the longest running number one in uh, Reese's CD rack? <laughs> Reese's CD rack. I think it was, uh, I think it would have been Slipknot. Yeah, I think it, it probably was Slipknot or Glassdoor, everything you ever wanted to know about Silence because... Um, Big album. I, I, I believe... I had to then put the Slipknot, <laughs> fuck, I had to put the Slipknot CD case on top of the tower, like open so it would stand up. And I put the Slipknot CD in the uh, a hard case because the edges were getting frayed because I would take it in and out so much, you know, it was just a little bit too thick for the tower and I wanted to keep it pristine. So, Was it a yeah. Digipack version or a yeah, CD? Yeah, it was the Digipack. I mean, that was around the time I guess and Digipacks were trying to become a standard. They're a waste. They're a waste. I, so a digipack I is the is just the, wait. What is a digipack? Digipack's like the cardboard thing that kind of folds out, yep. and a, a jewel case is just basically like the plastic. The new um, Duck Hunt EP comes out on tape and in in a jewel case because he's a fucking cheapskate. Ah, uh, well, why is a digipack a ripoff then? Um. That's they cost more to make. I mean, I if we're gonna get technical for a moment, there's something called a Lansing pack, which is just basically like a cheaper version of the Digi pack without the plastic part in the middle. So 
if I wanted to do a run of CDs, I'd go for a Lansing pack because it's cheaper to post, it's lighter. But Digipacks, they're heavier because you've got the CD, you've got the plastic in there. And a lot of the time, it was a massive cash grab. Like, I ended up getting a, CD, a, a Digipack version of the first Soulfly album because it had, like, two or three different tracks at the end that were only released as, as um, B-sides to the singles. But then who cares? Because at that point in time, hindsight is twenty twenty for a reason. It's no bloody use afterwards. Because at the time, I was just consuming anything I could just regarding metal. You know, if there, if there were singles and I had a Slipknot picture disc that I didn't play because I didn't have a vinyl player and I wouldn't want to play it anyway. It just, you just consume absolutely everything, including those shitty fucking VHS tapes, man. <laughs> Oh, man. I remember I had Slipknot t-shirts and they were way too big for me. But my friend's mum was a um, uh, school teacher, like a high school teacher, and they were having a charity match, um, a golfing charity day to raise money for something. And she asked my friend for an old t-shirt and he gave her the, the blue Slipknot one. Oh. And I don't think she realized it said people equal shit on the back. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she got home and was furious. <laughs> Only you, Reese. Only you. What's inside, Michelle? Oh, so this is like me. I, I had, on our street, we just had like neighborhood kids and we'd all hang out and I had a, a street girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, hold on, hold on, wait. I need to, I didn't quite hear that, Reese. Could you repeat, you had a what? A st- well, like a neighborhood girlfriend, you know, she was my street, girlfriend. But- no, 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 no. What was the term that you exactly referred to? So all the feminists that are listening here, I had a street what, girlfriend, like she term? was a girlfriend on my street. This is street, the, this is street girlfriend. I was her street boyfriend. That we were like on the street, like we didn't. So you wouldn't have minded being called a hood rat then. We were hood rats, but we'd stay out and we'd play like forty forty, and we'd always jump this guy's fence and he, like to hide because he had a good front yard to hide in. Um, long grass. There was no long grass there. Ah, okay. Um, but we he painted his fence with some sort of sticky thing, so. Every time we jumped it, we'd get, you know, black all over our shirts and stuff. Like really. flypaper then. Yeah, really. Yeah, essentially, yeah. It was like Home Alone. I got a paint tin in the face. But um, her name was Michelle. And I remember playing the Wait and Bleed for my... I was like, hey, for my cousin. I was like, this band is going to blow your mind. But everything else is... You're not going to get into Liberate Bananas. You know, you're not going to get into Liberate. I'll, I'll play the softest song. And that was Wait and Bleed. And she's like, oh... Are they saying inside Michelle? And I was like, no, no, no. And she's like, oh, I bet you'd like to be inside Michelle. Um, you know, nodding towards my street girlfriend's house. And I had zero idea what that meant. I had fucking no no clue as to what that meant. And I was I remember going, yeah, for sure. And then she laughed for ages. But yeah, I I think I was pretending I knew what sex was. I was thinking I was too young. Um, <laughs> I was fourteen. I should have oh, known. Know, maybe at the time you were learning, though. You know, clearly oh. your viewpoint of clown, um, at that show <laughs> yeah. would have suggested perhaps a slight curiosity towards what what what's going on there. Well, now I've grown up and I've got a street wife, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm oh, my, uh, with my street wife. We're st- I'm still learning. <laughs> and a street cat. I got a Not street cat. Bob. He's still no. learning. <laughs> You know what was an anomaly when you saw these kind of bands getting picked up by mainstream television shows? For example, recently when I saw Tyler the Creator 
perform on Late Night with uh, Unfunny Saturday Night Live presenter. Not Jimmy Kimmel. What's his name now? He always pretends to laugh. Jimmy Fallon. That's the one. That's the one. And I was amazed because it was kind of... The idea for me was that Tyler had ascended because now he's being embraced by a mainstream media outlet. That's not kind of niche kind of thing. Because Slipknot were embraced by the media, but it's still the niche kind of things. Now, when they performed on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, though, that was kind of their arrival moment. Would you not agree? Because I just didn't fucking expect to see that on a on a on a late night variety show. I saw some great sets there, and that I would just watch on repeat. But they played sick. What? Imagine that. Like I've been to to see Letterman live and uh, Nas played, and uh, not little Nas X, but just Nas. And it was kind of like yeah, yeah. It was you can't. They're kind of off to the side, and you got to tilt your head a little bit and it's a very cold studio and it's not the greatest but imagine sitting there turning your head to the left and just having Slipknot come at you um and I think Corey's just like pacing up and down um yeah. I remember seeing but then I saw like my friend would burn me like CDs of, of he he was a, like proto internet guy that he had two phone lines he managed to he's the same guy who gave his mum the um people equal shit thing he had he's like I'm always on the internet and so we downloaded at the same time I was getting into Slipknot and like at the drive-in and I was getting into Sigur Ross because they also played on Conan. So, and a, uh, Amen or Amen. Amen. Oh, I'd love to yeah. talk. I, I was really big into Amen. I um, was big into Amen as well. Oh, Definitely. Oh, man. Casey Chaos, man. I remember we they have played... come for your parents. Holy oh, shit. Fuck. That was yeah. a banger of an album. There was this Let's CD stop store. the Slipknot thing and just talk about Amen. Well, all right, I'm going to go into no, this. All right, not for podcast. Yeah, we would just watch that yeah. those performances on repeat. But imagine just sitting there and just being like, who are these nine fucking maniacs? I mean, two of them are not doing doing much. Like, Chris and, and Clown, what are they really doing? They're backing vocals and shit. Uh, Chris probably brings more. I know Clown is like the, the artistic one of the group. Yeah, it's almost like the creative director of the group. Yeah, yeah. Let's put a, let's put a dead crow in a jar, guys. There, there you go. Yeah. You know what's um, going to really psych us up? Shit porn. Let's <laughs> yeah. just chuck on some shit porn. Yeah, but fuck, we would just that watch those. He was, he was at the forefront of that, man, because I'm pretty sure that that predated Two Girls, One Cup. So he was he was, he was was there, Sean. He creatively, he he was a forecaster, as they call them now. I, I later got into Nine Guys, One Crow, which was pretty good. I got a Three Guys, One Pair of Cargo Pants. <laughs> that was... Pretty good. I love Fear Factory. <laughs> Just being able to see that shit. Like, thank you so much, Conan. I'm almost 100% sure it was Conan, but being able to see... Mate, it could have even been Letterman. I don't know. It wasn't Fallon. He was on, no, it was definitely Conan. I um, did my research as, you know, the Jamie to your Joe Rogan. Uh, he went through an absolute hot streak of bands Conan had, though. I think that's maybe what added to... Uh, his rapport with like younger audiences was that he, I mean, having said that, um, Letterman had Megadeth on for an entire week once. Oh, that's pretty good. And Beastie Boys. That for like just the residency. I think the Megadeth one was the residency. That was when Megadeth released um, Countdown to Extinction, which was 
this is us being a big band now, you know. We're, we don't care about playing fast. We just want people to enjoy our music because we realize that we're never going to eclipse Metallica. So let's just mm-hmm. do our own thing. I ended up, though, before the advent of YouTube, watching a really, really, I think the technical term is pot- uh, potato, just a really poor quality version of that Conan set on a fucking GeoCities website that was dedicated to Slipknot. Do you remember Real Audio? Remember Real Media? No. I, I know Windows Media Player. That was my jam. But I, I wasn't even much of a Winamp kid. No? Nah, not really. No, you weren't. You're always Windows Media Player. Pretty much. I still am. Is there is there another option on the market? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, man. Oh, but um, <laughs> I'll send you a list. Take your pick. My favorite's uh, Fubar. No, that's another deep. I don't know, man. I think I think there's an age gap now. There's a generation gap. I'm talking to a boomer. <laughs> I know. I'm just t- <laughs> back in my day. We had real media, not this Windows media trippy I'm visual three, shit. Uh, hold on a minute, man. I'm three years older than you. I'm not like I'm. It's not like I'm ten years old. Like back in my day, mate, we used to like stud our own jackets. <laughs> now River Island are getting in on that stuff, you know. I remember downloading skins for Winamp. I remember when bands didn't have to wear boiler suits, they'd wear leather. There's nothing more manlier than wearing tight leather, you know? No, real real audio and real media were basically kind of proto-YouTube embeds where you could take the footage and then encode it yourself, but you would have to have a specific piece of software in order to watch it. And it seemed everybody that had a Slipknot GeoCities website... Probably done on front page. Yeah, it's front all right. page ninety eight. Probably they're probably yeah, probably not on your level yet, man. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. You know. but I mean, I'd, I'd go there. I, I went for the videos. I stayed for the kind of like candid camera kind of you know, upskirt shots, which were basically slip, which were basically Slipknot images of them out of their masks. I reckon we all saw the same one. There's like a a backstage one in front of a mirror or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one, you know, the most, I think the most common one that was out there was Mick. And it was Mick just taken for his own guitar yep. stuff at, at a club show. Um, Sean was always the hardest one to try and pin down in terms of a, an unmatched photo. But I mean, I, I, in this day and age when you've got like, you know, now I'm going to really sound like a boomer. Thanks, Reese. The TikTok and the Instagram, do they still have the Microsoft Messenger? Um, they don't have MSN anymore. Uh, but do you follow any of the Slipknot members on uh, Instagram? I I kind of don't. They fucking suck. Like, they kind of suck. Okay, so <laughs> and I, and I, I really wonder something. if they had an Instagram when we were into them. The, the, the mystique and just being like, what is going on behind the mask and the music? Like, they work so well together. Whereas now I can just go like, oh, Chris Fenn is playing golf again and he's got his polo shirt tucked in to his fucking khakis. You know, like he he looks he looks like a MAGA voter, exactly what he looks like. Jim is just like taking photos of his beard and, and motorbikes most of the time. Uh, Sid is just like posting photos of him touching his nipple and like, I don't know, playing with action figures and stuff. But Is he still rocking grills? Uh, he, he sometimes rocks grills, yeah. But they just seem like dweebs, and, and and maybe that was the appeal that like they um 
they never fully like when you're traveling in that little clique, you don't have to, um, you can just stay the loners. Like I remember clown talking about, Oh, we're the, we're not the cool kids at the party. We're not, no one wants to talk to us. It's like, yeah. Cause you're huffing fucking crow Jenkum. No, no one needs that <laughs> shit. I'm loving the throwback to Jenkum. <laughs> but can I, can I play a game with you? Um, you clown, can play a game with me. Cl- I understand Clowns had some recent tragedy with the passing of, of a child, which is absolutely no laughing matter, and, and it must be heartbreaking. But pre that, fuck that dude's Instagram was lame, and even post that it's not it's not great. He has deleted a lot of things, but I've okay. he he would post like photos and be like a blurry one of his eye, like. Think about when photo booth on IMAX first became a thing or iPads and you'd, you get like a swirly effect and he, he would write the caption like, do you really know? Or it might be like him in a mirror and it's all like shimmery and, and broken and he'll write like, come out and play or I take on all, you know, this sort of fucking lame shit. When he's 50, like he just turned 50, <laughs> this isn't cool anymore, man. Like you can be artistic and still be able to form like a... a a readable, coherent caption for your Instagram. But that brings me to this week's game. Is this is um, is this from Clown's Instagram caption or bad poetry Tumblr? Okay. So, oh my god! <laughs> all right, I have. Can't got, it be both? Well, well, it could be both. <laughs> it could be both. I don't right. know what this picture is. I just got the caption. Okay. Okay. So I think it's called fuckyearbadpoetry.tumblr.com. Okay, this is where I got it from. Lost in thought this evening. Disruption every minute. What to do? What to want? Clown or fucky a bad poetry? I think that's clown. It screams angst. That is uh, clown. Well done. Well done. Okay. Oi. You're on See, one. I'm, I'm not a boomer. I'm down with the kids. <laughs> Next one from the Instawaz. The shadows keep me company. <laughs> the shadows keep me company. Is that clown or fuck yeah bad poetry? That's, please tell me that's fuck yeah bad poetry. Yeah, that's fuck yeah bad poetry. <laughs> yeah. All right. What no else? one's that fucking pathetic, man. Apparently, they they're it. There are people that are like that. So, the rag doll searches for the one who holds the blame. <laughs> the rag doll searches for the one who holds the blame. I reckon that's sure. Uh, that's clown again. Nah, just that's just got that whimsical. Is it? Is it shit poetry? <laughs> that's fucking yeah, bad poetry. <laughs> oh fuck! Right, but yeah, you're not. You weren't far off. Won't stop laughing. The jokes are on some other way of understanding. Its own level of language. No one has anything on this thing. That's a brain teaser. That is it. Is it clown? Cause that's it's clown. Kind of s- Pseudo intellectual yep. and political. A hundred percent. There you go. All All right, right. Last one. This one, I, like, I'm a, a native English speaker, although some would argue that being Australian, but I, I, <laughs> this this one doesn't quite make sense to me. Okay, okay. Rising for the fire within. Rising for the fire within. Yeah. So, so basically, there's a fire within him. And they're having a rise because if they were to sit still, they would remain a fire hazard. No, I think it's about paying tribute to the fire within you, and that you stand up and you're like, you know, salute the fire within. Well, look, I don't know who the fuck said it. Was it fucking uh, bad poetry or clown? Fucking no, nah, it was fucking AFI. 
it was clown. Uh, you oh, finished man. there with I, I can't. I lost score. I can only count to three. But um, I think you got three out of five. But I fuck, don't even think I got three, mate. To be honest with you, that dude is fifty. He is fifty years old, and he's just like, you know, rising for the fire within. Won't stop laughing. The jokes on someone else. Fuck off, you man. know, you you mentioned that you know they're, they're dweebs maybe the fact that they were so enigmatic was the cover for them being dweebs because the slipknot name came from i think magic either magic the gathering or dungeons and dragons something like that because they ended up releasing before um Corey joined the band there was another lead singer called anders yeah. and they released a demo called mate feed kill repeat which I only discovered through those shitty GeoCity websites. Same. And I think a lot of the lyrical content there was, uh, uh, again, I'm sure there's some maggots out there that will probably correct us, and I implore them to do so because conversation is the spice of life, but I'm pretty sure a lot of the lyrics came from uh, either Magic the Gathering or it was like Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. So if you think about it, Maybe they have been dweebs all along. Corey always regarded himself as the unpopular fat kid in school. I get that, but when he had a beef look, with Fred, uh, Durst. when I say dweebs, I I, I should dweebs are quite good and they're they're wholesome. This sort of pseudo intellectual, quasi violent, you don't understand me bullshit. When you are fifty years old and you probably own multiple properties, you've travelled the world and you're still just like. There's a darkness in the mirror. You know, like, bro, fucking get over it. You hit a keg. Like, yeah, fucking even Silverchair grew up. I, I heard that we've got a new sponsor. It's, it's now a good time for us to uh, interject with our, uh, our advertising partner for the day. Yeah, sadly, Cargo Shorts are only on for a one-episode contract, but luckily we've got a new sponsor. Are you looking for a style that is business at the front but not a party at the back? How about a party at the top instead? Introducing Frosted Tips, perfect for every occasion with its unique customization in an instant. Looking to wow people at that taproot gig? Frosted oh. Tips pointed up and away from the scalp allow that futuristic feel to say, no way Y2K, you're not gonna <laughs> bug me. Family gathering, flatten that hair into a side pattern to show your respects to family members while still demonstrating your sense of individuality with all your contemporaries. Job interview? Don't sweat it. Your tool tattoo across your knuckles is going to prevent you from those corporate jobs anyway. Welcome to a life of hospitality work instead. Frosted Tips' unique features allow for colour changes also. Just apply food colouring to the areas for even the most greboist of events. Hey you, looking cool ass with the Frosted Tips. Cool. I'm not being ironic. Frosted Tips, because the future is now. Frosted, frosted, frosted tips. It's never gonna go out of fashion. Yeah, frost, frosted tips. Frosted tips. Not to be confused with frosted tits, the Alaskan strip joint. But a couple of cease and desists about that one. I, I dropped the ball on that one, to be fair. But yeah, frosted tips. Well, I hope they stick around because that was fucking top notch. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, Welcome on board, Frosted <laughs> Tips. Take a, take a minute, we'll edit this part out, oh, okay? Man. 
realize how fucking bored I got last week and decided, <laughs> I know, I'll harmonize with myself. Oh, this is the story of my life. I was writing raps for WhatsApp groups that I'm in the other night uh, and recording them in detail on GarageBand. Speaking of great tracks, what is the best track on Slipknot self-titled? Uh, for me, I, I'm a big, big fan of Eyeless. I just find I just find that Cassie California with a Malabrando's eyes. I just yeah. find that whole stanza incredibly, incredibly catchy. Could not agree more. It's such a great opening um, three track punch. I could take or leave, wait and bleed. Like I don't really care. Surfacing, I don't know. It was good live, but I don't care that much for it. But it was the only Slipknot song that I could play on drums because it's so easy. Like it's not super hard. But you know what the the crazy thing is that we thought that when um they got picked up by, you know the uh, the mainstream consciousness that, okay this is it that's probably the heaviest that Slipknot are gonna be, and then they fucking released Iowa, which was just an absolute. I mean, like we probably listened to different first songs off that. The first song I ever heard from that was People Equal Shit. But I understand that it, for you, it was hearing Heretic Anthem at the back of an IT class on, and I hope you wrote this right, and I'm reading it right, something called the Pimp Rock Palace? Yeah, it's. I think it might even still be a website now. I think it's called the PRP, but it used to be called the Pimp Rock Palace, or maybe it just was like the PRP.com. I don't know why it was called that, but that's where we'd get all, all our metal news. And uh, yeah, in the back of IT class, we would just like bring in headphones and just listen to that sort of stuff. But, and they're like, we're dropping the new Slipknot track. How did you hear, like Heretic Anthem was the first single, if I'm not mistaken. How did you hear People Equal Shit before that? Um, Because Roadrunner Records over here were big. And so they would send out promo CDs because it's where I heard some, uh, like when Machine Head released the, the Burning Red and they decided, oh shit, maybe we should go back to being kind of like a, a thrashy band. And, People Equal Shit was on there. And I was a massive nerd, man, you know, so I'd be downloading, looking for, like, the new Slipknot track on on Kazaa. And it was like, People Equal Shit, but I, I'm pretty sure I've seen a logo with Slipknot writing that says that. And then that's pretty much how I discovered People Equal Shit. And then Heretic Anthem was released shortly afterwards. It was when shit always used to get leaked. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if in the mathematical sense people equal shit is true. I don't know if any mathematician has sort of debunked this or taken it apart. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people in areas of the UK that are in a tier level that's not tier four that are suddenly thinking, you know what, people do equal shit, like abandoning their homes. But, you know, we'll save the political shit for the Rage Against the Machine podcast. That's... When they released Iowa, did you find it heavier than the first album? Um, looking back, yeah. Listening to it, it is a much thicker, denser, muddier, brutal album. I still try to figure out in the lyrics, I want to slit your throat and fuck the wound. Is that worse for him or for me? Like, who's who's well, really who, getting punished? Know, are you there? the one doing the are you the one doing the fucking or the one with the throat slit? If Corey's saying I want I want to slit your throat. That's unfortunate yep. for me. No good. Yeah. But, and, and fuck the wound, that says more about him than it does me. You know what I mean? Like, I've met some pretty gross, annoying people in my life, you know. Um, but I, to, to fuck the wound, that seems a bit 
like it's just like oh that's your thing man that's like there was nothing on me you know what i mean well maybe maybe he's grown from that you know because that just clearly indicates a case of toxic masculinity where to assert one's kind of uh alpha maledom they're quite happy to fuck rather than be fucked it's like people that end up you know why are we talking about i i'm gonna stop myself there okay because we're nearly talking about prison rape and i don't want to talk about tool quite much man i don't want to you know speaking of Corey, though fuck moving to vegas has been the worst thing for his music like have you heard his solo album oh who yeah who's that Corey taylor his new solo album, like Corey motherfucker i taylor. heard him i heard him do a acoustic visual uh acoustic version sorry again i heard him do an acoustic version of spit it out which i found just yeah garish like oh okay no this used to be a good song now you've turned it into a hoedown i I don't know how i feel but i don't have ownership over that shit but at the same time i don't have to like what he's done with it no i think moving to vegas and, and, and hanging out with a bunch of slick rock dogs who think like you know velvet revolver are the greatest band ever and they're, they're classic like they're amazing guitarists and their guitar probably guitar teachers like mick was like getting lessons from mick would have been awesome zero 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 seven zero 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 seven but um i think guitar teachers write the worst songs you know what I mean? And they're all this slick rock fucking thing. And the Corey motherfucking Taylor, it's it's no good. But here's something for you. Corey Taylor is to metal what Kevin Smith is to movies. Ooh. Not so much with like the everyone dresses the same and has the same goatee. I but don't think I can, I don't have a strong enough argument against that. If you're talking purely on the basis of his best work seems to be when it's rooted in the kind of things that made him popular, like for Kevin Smith, it would have been um, Clerks or Chasing Amy, the viewers universe. Yeah. Yeah. And if it is for Corey Taylor, his predominant, you know, first Stone Sour album I really enjoyed. Full disclosure. I really enjoyed that first Stone Sour album. Much like I actually have a soft spot for that first Murder Dolls album. Oh my god. Um, to my surprise, probably not as much. Yeah, but, down uh, the sun? But, I mean, every... Down the sun? <laughs> I bought Did that album. Did you listen to any of that? Yeah, I you bought it. You got that album? I bought it. <laughs> yeah, that was very low on my CD tower. But I can't even believe it made the CD tower. How many discs was the CD tower? Uh, 75. It was fucking huge. Oh, I could see. I could see just based on the popularity of Slipknot at the time, maybe that sneaking around the sixties mark. I can get that, but no, I, I, I guess you're right because, I mean, I didn't like enjoy any of the other Stone Sour stuff that came afterwards, but I still enjoyed the subliminal verses, and I still enjoyed all of the other Slipknot stuff. Did you know that I had the opportunity? And I took it uh, to speak to Paul before oh, he died. Uh, sorry, we're out of time. Let's wrap it up there. No, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. to be continued. Tell, tell me more. And fuck, he was just a good dude. Just a real good dude. He had to jump off the phone because there was some shit happening outside. But he would talk about how... Sorry, guys. Clowns his... lit sit on fire again. I've got to go put him out. I think it was a shooting, actually. I don't want to joke too much about it. Um... 
that he was just really kind of as much as they're enigmatic and they're kind of I guess in a way countercultural back you know when they first came out there always did seem to be a real sincerity towards their fans and with Paul when I interviewed him he was just talking about how he'd give his bass guitar away to kids outside of shows like what was it what is it to him? He's got a sponsorship with Ebonet, I believe it was. I could be wrong, but he had a sponsorship with him, so he would just, you know, give it away and just having really, it was really good conversations and it wasn't so much to kind of like PR speak either. At one point, it, I was talking about, oh, you know, you've got to be careful coming over to New Zealand because we've got biosecurity laws. It's why I can't ever get a pot noodle sent over from the UK to, to New Zealand and he was adamant like if you want a pot noodle man I'll make sure you get a pot noodle is that what you want I can make sure you get a pot noodle it's like nah I'm, I'm, it's fine it's fine it's like no nah, man that that as long as you're sure like I, I, I can I can do it are you, are you sure you don't want a pot noodle and it was just he was just such a fucking accommodating person even if he was humoring me like you do quite a lot Reese at least, you know much like yourself it was just real down to earth. It was just really, he just cared, man. Yeah, so when sweet. when it turned out when it, when he died, it was kind of fuck, you know. Like the one member of Slipknot I've had like a decent conversation with, and it wasn't just let's plug the album. It was just a real deep and meaningful. Let's have a chat about what people mean to you in the band. Yeah, and do they equal shit? No, um, to Slipknot's credit no. though, after his passing, they've still released some pretty good albums. Like, and I remember seeing a, a clip at a festival of them. They put uh, either his bass or his clothing on on a mic stand, and, and the whole festival had him like a minute silence for him, which was really really touching. Uh, what's going on with Jordy? Uh, Joe, Jordy, Joey Jordanson. Why does anyone know officially why he left? I mean, I heard that he had an alcohol problem, but then I also heard that, which could be even possibly more plausible, is the fact that there was ownership issues because he founded the band with, was it Sean. Chris and Sean? Yeah, and yeah, Chris is out too. And, and they still haven't and gone into um, why Chris has left. I'm not a fan of Tortilla Man. I'm not, I don't think he does much or anything really. Um, but yeah, like as for Joey, I imagine it was, it was some, Oh shit. So, I mean, this is on Wikipedia and it's been cited after years of both sides being silent and evasive as to the reasons for Joey leaving the band. He revealed in June, 2016, that he suffered from transverse myelitis, a neurological disease that cost him the ability to play the drums towards the end of his time with Slipknot. That's fucking rough, man. I, I knew that, but I didn't think that was the official reason. But that makes sense. Because he, yeah, he definitely, like, there's some clips of him being very, very sloppy um, at festivals. But I think he still drums in a band now, doesn't he? Like, in a, in a black metal band. Yeah, something that doesn't require too much speed, but a bit of, I mean, which probably would work for, for Joey, you know? Like, it doesn't need to maintain that speed like the early Slipknot albums had, but... It can still show off that technical aspect. Yeah. Like, it was a good drummer. Like when we talked about um in one of the previous podcasts when he took over from Lars at Download Festival, would have been the corn podcast actually. Um, he was incredibly, you know, talented. He just took to it and 
you know, he didn't have to have that kind of blast beat kind of effect. He could be really technical and fluid. So I don't know. I'll have to check that out once we're done. And then Sid's still doing DJ Starscream stuff. He released like little decks, I think. He like has pioneered these little traveling decks, I think. Um, like, like you know how you can he's, have like little guitars to practice on or a little drum pad. I think he's made little, little Marshall. Yeah, yeah, I think he's made something like that, which is pretty cool. He actually seems pretty fun. Um, smokes a lot of weed. Every time I've seen him, kind of like out of his mask, it's been for like some YouTube channel that's all about like Kush Life Four Twenty. I'm not a fan of any of their new masks, really. I hate Corey's new mask. And I know he's he's like, oh, it's meant to be disturbing. It's like, yeah, but it's kind of disturbing because you picked it and you look it sucks. Up, he looks overweight. That's not me fat showing. It just looks kind of... Yeah, it just doesn't look right. It just looks kind of like half-baked or like kind of like, oh, well, we needed a mask and this is what they've sent over. This is what the studio sent or whatever. And I, I know that's not the story, but just not as not as good. Well, I mean, this isn't on the run sheet, but what was the best mask out of the entire history of Slipknot? Paul's was probably the worst. Maybe, Jesus Christ, maybe Jim's from the first album. I quite like that. I like Chris's. Chris's was at least something. Um, Craig's was just a helmet with nails in it. I'm going to go Chris's long nose. Oh, no, that that looked interesting. And Corey's first one. Not, not the Iowa... One, the uh, the one when it was still kind of clean with was it green dreads that he was having? Yeah, yeah. I I'd say maybe maybe Chris is the most iconic to me. Oh, no, Sean's first one that that clown mask was was really good as well. I liked Sean's mask around the Iowa era, the one where he could pull away the scalp a little bit to reveal the brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was his real brain. Again, a little bit kind of a uh, little bit kind of theatrical. Yeah, like they they knew they could play, but they knew that if they were gonna be touring constantly, and again, we'll, we'll hit that sweet tour stories and, and the Deftones episode. But I think they realized if we're gonna be doing this full time, we can't set fire to each other all the time or throw fucking empty beer barrels at us. So maybe that's. They decided the mask changing felt like the end of one kind of chapter and a move into the next one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the theatrics, because the drums started to end up on risers and there'd be costume changes at times as well. So, but yeah, I loved Clown's mask when it, 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 during the Iowa stage. I quite like Jim's mask recently. Now he's rocking that beard and that oh, side yep, part. Yep. Mick's been pretty reliable. I didn't like the full, like, uh, aluminium sort of titanium steel kind of look too much but yeah mix just seems scary as fuck and did, didn't he stab his brother in the head or his brother stabbed him in the head something about like his brother stabbed someone there was an altercation with between the two brothers mick and his and i think his brother may even roadie for him or something but i think they just got drunk on like you know bourbon and decided to stab each other this was recently i think this on, was in the last couple of years bourbon oh you know That's they're not just even if they fucking moonshine or you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. get that, but like you know, I, I I make a lot of shit up, guys. If you're listening to this, um, when you made it this far, God bless. But yeah, pretty much all I say is is made up. Like I I take one bit of information and just add a whole heap of shit. I just want to go back to the Corey Taylor, Kevin Smith. Also, Corey Taylor does a lot more spoken word now, and he just like he'll just 
someone asked one question. He would just go for hours on one topic. But I remember him talking recently, not very ha- oh no, super recently, but t- not very happy that Limp Biscuit were um, <laughs> were um, doing the sit down thing that he liked to do during Spit It Out. And he, I think he thinks he made it up or he invented it. I don't know about that. Um, but yeah, Limp Biscuit has started doing it, and he wasn't super happy about that. What song? I, I don't know. Limp Biscuit doing it for. I've no idea. Hopefully, it's rearranged. <laughs> Could be for the Nucky. Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be a hit. It'd be a big. There's that big boomer thing. in me again. Could be that song for the Nucky. Besides, people that go, what's your favorite Pixie song? Oh, I love the Fight Club theme. Yeah. Wow, just fuck off now. Fuck off now. Um, the final word, Reese. I'm I'm gonna attempt to do a drum roll on the desk here. You can add a fill in if you want. Hey. Uh... As always, before a Butcher Death Trip episode, I go, I run and listen to the album um, that we're going to be talking about, and whatever retains in my head, like I'm like the new metal John West. It's sort of like what I the theories or the thoughts that I throw back make me the best, you know. And so I noticed, and I couldn't stop thinking about this when I got home. Fuck, they use splash symbols a lot now. Splash symbols for those who don't know are little symbols that like go like crang, crang. You know, China symbols like that's that's the this is a drummer in action. I'm just gonna sit back with my arms folded and watch this unfold, man. Can I get can I get a bit more can I get a bit more splash? All right, cool. Can I get a bit of crash? Okay, can I get a bit of hi hat? Now check your floor tom for me. Yeah, you're my bitch now. Fuck. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, they use splash symbols a lot. And I remember buying one. Yeah. I, and not obviously because of Slipknot. I probably thought it was because of Dredge or something, but it was actually. <laughs> Dredge. <laughs> oh my God. Go on, anyway. In my so mind, bought... it, it was probably kind of like here's what I'm saying. Big splash corporations, you know, were the puppet masters for Slipknot. And Slipknot were just a way for them to sell more splash symbols. But yeah, they use a lot of them, I reckon. Joey loves a bit of a splash. I think he thinks it's cute, like after a huge drum roll or, you know, some blast beats, you go, like, you kind of pause and go, king. And then you go back. You know what I mean? Like the metal equivalent of a triangle. Yeah, essentially. It's like, uh, isn't this funny, Mr. Bungle? You know what I mean? Um, so do you think, final word on Slipknot, the, the reason all listeners are here and they want an answer, a definitive answer from you, Benji, did Slipknot make splash symbols cool? Yeah, why not? I'm not a drummer. And you never will be with that attitude, without paying respect to Splash. No, I don't want to, man. I'm just a guy at the back telling you what drum to replicate with your mouth. And that's why you tune into the Police Academy podcast every week. <laughs> Don't you dare smear Michael Winslow. That man is a national treasure. He's not British, but I wish he was. I heard a story about him recently that this guy um, was on. Like, it's like it's called the Project here, but um, it's just kind of like they have news stories, but then they also have like funny, lighthearted moments. And they had Michael Winslow, and he's like, yeah. Michael Winslow would not stop making noises. Even backstage, he's like, now what noise do you want me to make? And he's like, nah, you don't have to put on the act. He's like, nah, this is who I am. Here's a chopper, you know? Here's oh, a so he's gun. got ADD. Yeah, he's just an absolute mental. Uh, uh, so ADD and an obsession with sound effects. 
Well, that's been the Police Academy podcast. I've been Mahoney. I've been the other ones. You've been listening to the Blue Oyster Bar podcast. Next week, what are we talking about? Um, well, it depends if we're going to go in a chronological order or not. Could be Deftones. Let's make it Deftones. It's going to be Deftones. And again, quick shout out to Frosted Tips. <laughs>